0: to wreck your- I spent my days in longing, I spent my days in chance to
1: that's uh, 1,040 weeks, times 40 hours every week, and roughly two and a quarter hours overtime, a time and a half for overtime, exactly
2: $3,411.96.
3: <laughs> uh, welcome to the life of the Polish Advocate. Working various jobs are so precarious. No Bavarian Illuminati nefarious. I be the good egg, born a hold at the clock tock, off, 'cause a kid thinking of all the two-minute noodles that I lived off. Didn't want only relate to hip hop. Finished school, good grades, still got a shit job. Eighteen doing concrete and still fixing. with that an uncle pizza, they still in it. And it's real shitty, just had to deal with it. I did the music and I never got a milk ticket. Moved on once I. Gained a sense of clarity. Dumbass, forklifting in a factory. Then in a quarry, I never got a salary. Direct sales, door knocking for charity. Started to move away from labor, thank God. But every job still had a boss to wank off. Hard hat, brute, tie, viz, tank tops. Suit and tie when I worked in that bank job. Yeah, like what was I thinking? Fucking toy. Becoming annoyed on the dole, being unemployed. Stay at home dad started up my own business. Scene, right? Always been that drummer boy. Work beat the soul out of me. Bloodstains, mundane man, always hated Mondays. Had the dream of doing music one day. Wrote rhymes on my smoke hoes and lunch breaks. Unpaid job, put all hands were on deck. Like a DJ, prospect prospecting the onset. In fact, that's how I wrote this whole project. All written at work was a concept Ended up hurting my back, sciatica stinging Had to give away the labour, stop acting a victim Packing the wisdom, no matter the track that I'm spitting Of being trapped in a prison of capitalism Now I'm okay, in fact I could do worse Now I know what my time and my true worth Find my true purpose, work with people Facilitating here, part with that youth work so if you're working the mackers in your 13 or your white collar person in your thirties, or a tradie that works hard for third I want you to play this to start off your work week. From the tab. Got this planer, it's on my mind,
4: and soon enough now ever will fall in love. I'll do what you it is night Have you seen my pamphlets? Have you read my blog? Have you seen my army marching down to see The face of Europe, the skyline, everything, my family, the sun, the sky,
5: Hi, whoa, that was loud. Welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Um, that was some music I hadn't heard before. A song called My Agenda. It says featuring the Village People and Pussy Riot. And that was by Dorian Electra. Hadn't heard that before. Found that on a playlist called Protest Albums of 2020. And we'll be playing some more music from that playlist um, today on the program i'm getting myself together here waking up a bit still thanks so much for our for tuning in tuning in oh wow i really could use more sleep uh we're broadcasting live from mutiny radio and we're in san francisco and we're on ohlone land and for more information please go to weeklyrev.org and there we have a land acknowledgement page which has links to history of people who have been on this land as well as mutual aid funds that folks can donate to, maps of around the country, and native news outlets that folks can follow, among much more information. So again, please go to weeklyrev.org and click on the Land Acknowledgement tab for lots more information. Ah! If you haven't listened to the show before, welcome, question mark, I mean welcome, period, welcome, exclamation point! Thanks! Thanks for tuning in! Uh, this is a program that's different every week. Go over news stories uh, with the uh, with an anti-capitalist perspective, and we play music in between because the news is like, whoa, this is depressing and scary. Yikes! Let's listen to some music by featuring the Village People and Pussy Riot? Question mark Yes. So we'll also be sharing in by we the greater we yeah, sharing news items and upcoming events that folks can participate in because yes, there's a lot of horrible things that are happening and have been happening for a very long time and also one way to try to push back against that is to take action and a constant reminder there are so many different ways for folks to show up whether it's through information, sharing information, uh, teach-ins, having conversations with people, donating if you're able, showing up to actions if you're able, contacting folks who are incarcerated, the whole the list goes on and on, creating art, so there's, it's, it's not hopeless. I feel hopeless sometimes, and also it's not hopeless because there are so many folks who have been organizing since before, (sighs) since before time. Yeah? Oh, I'm really trying to get myself together here. First up, I'm going to start off with some California news, and this comes from Antifa Sacramento. You can follow them on Twitter, AntifaSac underscore. Less than one week from this very moment when this tweet was shared, and I've shared this as well, Uh, Less than one week from this very moment, we will be standing with our community against far-right terror, So, uh, SoCal, Central Valley, NorCal. Will you stand with us January 20th, 10 a.m., Fremont Park, and then we push forward, hashtag AllOutForSac, hashtag DeathToFascism, hashtag AntifascistAction, hashtag Sacramento. So this is, uh, I'm reading from this... Piece of information here. Uh, Stop the fascist creep. The far right is coming to Sacramento on Inauguration Day. Join us and protect our community. No more cops. No more Proud Boys. No more presidents. Wednesday, January 20th, 10 a.m., Fremont Park. Respect diversity of tactics. We keep us safe. This was tweeted on January 14th, and I've shared that as well. So if you are in the area and able to show up, please do Okay, next up, and these are not necessarily shared in any um, particular order, just what we're doing with today. It's a very DIY uh, <laughs> patchwork show, putting it together sometimes as we go. I've found a few articles this past week that I'll be sharing, and of course, this is only just a drop in the bucket of what is happening in the world and hopefully. Providing a sense of just what's out there and also providing accurate information because I think part of the reason we're in this mess is because there has been so much misinformation and so much propaganda out there, um, both in the media, sometimes through education, or lack of education, I should say, what's left out of history books, and it's really crucial to have an understanding of workers' rights and the actual history of this country and constantly, constantly learning. So this is an article from knock-la.com, and that's K-N-O-C-K-L-A.com. Uh, Vaughn's pavilions to fire essential workers replace drivers with independent contractors. This is really fucked up. California begins to see the devastating effects of Prop 22. And this is written by Mike Dickerson. It came out on January 4th. When Dylan's grocery delivery arrived a few days before New Year's, it came with some bad news. The delivery driver who brought his groceries from Vons mentioned that drivers across the state are getting fired from Vons, Pavilions, and other California stores owned by Albertson's companies in late February. Stores will instead turn to a third-party delivery service using independent contractors. I was disturbed and disappointed that Vons would eliminate these jobs. I felt like they were the only remaining company that treated delivery drivers ethically, but no longer, said Dylan. After publication, an Albertson's representative sent the following statement, you know, I'm not going to even fucking read their statement because fuck them. And that's one benefit of, I guess, not working for NPR or uh, having a boss. I'm just not going to read uh, people who work for corporations that cause harm. I'm not going to read their statements. Drivers under the Albertsons' company's umbrella are employees, while Ralph's Delivery is operated by Instacart and Target uses Shipt, and that's S-H-I-P-T, a similar app. At Bay Area stores, drivers are unionized and will not be affected by the layoffs. For Southern California shoppers, this move leaves them without a grocery delivery option that treats drivers as employees. Unions are vowing to fight the change, says Jim Araby, director of strategic com- campaigns at UCFW5. The only drivers that kept their jobs were the unionized drivers in the Bay Area. All the other drivers in California were laid off because they were non-union. We represent those drivers, and they will keep their job. These layoffs are unsurprising after the passage of Prop 22, boo, which gutted worker protections while making it easier for companies to shift financial burdens onto newly designated independent contractors. In a piece for Knock last year, Keith F. Eberle predicted this exact outcome in the opening paragraph. Contrary to the company's deceptive ad campaign and intimidating messages to their workers, Prop 22 does not not preserve driver flexibility or save drivers from politicians. What Prop 22 does do is change current law so that companies can shift their costs to the driver and diminish or remove driver's rights, protections, and benefits. Prop 22 will also block drivers' ability to organize so they can't collectively bargain a contract. In addition, this proposition will block local governments from writing or enforcing protections for drivers. The only surprise is the speed at which Albertsons reversed course on its commitments to workers. This move comes after nearly a year of celebrating grocery store workers for feeding communities. Earlier this year, Albertsons' company's president and CEO Vivek Sankaran said the company was quote-unquote taking care of our team i rolling my eyes. Albertsons companies are working to ensure that every member, blah, 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 blah. Clearly, you lied. Albertsons was happy to reap public goodwill during the pandemic, but once Prop 22 gave the company the option of replacing workers with lower-paid contractors, they jumped at the opportunity. Employees received notice during the holidays that their employment would end one month into the new year. Early in the pandemic, union members demanded hazard pay, additional medical leave, and employee protections during the pandemic. In March, Safeway and Northern California grocery workers reached an agreement providing these additional benefits. Labor and management were able to cooperate in April, requesting that grocery workers be designated as first responders. In an April joint statement, Sankaran and United Food and Commercial Workers, um, UFCW, President Mark Perrone wrote, The... this joint action is an example of how all Americans must work together to protect everyone working on their front lines. This includes associates at our nation's grocery stores who are providing communities with the essential food and supplies needed to weather this public health crisis. Negotiations in October turned contentious as members of the Teamsters issued a notice of potential strike due to rising health care costs. Lou the Vazo who chairs the bargaining effort, told the Orange County Register that employers have been bargaining in bad faith. We've had over 18 bargaining sessions with them, and we provided our economic proposal, but no response. Organized labor made the difference for drivers in the Bay Area who will remain as employees for now. But without the power of a union, Southern California drivers lack an organizational structure through which to fight back. Many, and the author included, turned to Vaughn's and Albertson's stores for their groceries, knowing that drivers were employed with benefits. Unionized drivers offered a clear alternative to the hellscape of gig economy apps like Instacart. In a May 2020 statement, Sankaran said, These times are unprecedented in the grocery industry. A simple thank you doesn't seem quite en- enough. He was right. Delivery drivers deserve health care, job protections, and fair wages. Workers won those fights this year because they fought as a union. With DoorDash taking over in February, that United front will be gone. And, action item, uh, you can contact Albertson's companies and let them know what you think of this move. Vaughn's retail store slash corporate phone number is 877-723-3929. And the Albertson's retail store corporate phone number is 877-723-3929. And we'll be sharing this article on our website, weeklyrev.org, so you can go back there and uh, find the number there as well. Editor's note, after publication, Albertsons responded to Knox's request for comment. This piece has been edited to clarify that union drivers will not be laid off and that workers facing layoffs in Southern California are non-union, as well as to include statements from both Albertsons and UCFW5. The scheduled date of the layoffs was also corrected. So, this looks like a cool site i haven't been there before again you can find this at knock-la.com written by mike dickerson and we will be sharing this article on our page weeklyrev.org okay um further with uh, news about workers and lack of worker protections there's an article It's from CNN. I saw it elsewhere, but the CNN was what popped up right now. So my apologies on sharing a CNN article. I know CNN's got issues. The U.S. economy lost 140,000 jobs in December. All of them were held by women. And this is by Annalyn Kurtz from, uh, I guess, CNN Business. Came out on Friday, January eighth. A year ago, a rare thing happened to American women. For three months, they held more jobs than men in the U.S. economy. Something they had only that had only occurred one other time in history during a short period in 2009 and early 2010. Sure, there were still many other gender gaps. Women were more likely than men to work part-time, for example, because of caregiving responsibilities at home. And even among full-time workers, they earned on average only 81 cents for every dollar of their male peers. Nevertheless, women were making gradual gains. The pandemic quickly changed that story. And now, it just got worse. According to new data released Friday, and this is last Friday, Uh, employers cut 140,000 jobs in December, signaling that the economic recovery from the coronavirus pandemic is backtracking. Digging deeper into the data also reveals a shocking gender gap. Women accounted for all of the job losses, losing 156,000 jobs, while men gained 16,000. Boo! Uh, They have a chart here uh, that shows the uh, job loss as women lost more jobs than men in 2020. Women ended 2020 with 5.4 million fewer jobs than they had in February before the pandemic began. Meanwhile, men lost 4.4 million jobs over that same time period. Meanwhile, a separate survey of households, which includes self-employed workers, showed an even greater gender disparity. It also highlighted another painful reality. Uh, Black people and uh, Latinas lost jobs in December while white women made significant gains. Boo! Again, boo. These are net numbers, which can mask some of the underlying churn. Chum? Churn. Churn. It must be churn, unless there's chum in the labor market. I, I'm going to say it's churn. Underlying churn in the labor market. Of course, many men lost their jobs in December too, but when taken together as a group, they came out ahead, whereas women fell behind. Economists often warn against reading too much into a single month, but December's job losses capped off an already awful year for working women particularly women of color black and latino women disproportionately work in some of the hardest hit sectors in the pandemic often in roles that lack paid that lack paid sick leave and the ability to work from home as schools and daycares closed many were forced to make hard trade-offs between work and parenting those sectors are less likely to have flexibility so when employers are inflexible or women can't come to work because of caregiving responsibilities They have to exit the workforce, said C. Nicole Mason, president and CEO of the Institute for Women's Policy Research. Overall, women are still down 5.4 million jobs from February before the pandemic began, as compared to 4.4 million job losses for men. They started 2020 on roughly equal footing, with women holding 50.03% of jobs, but ended it holding 860,000 fewer jobs than their male peers. That gap is in large part due to steep job losses in three sectors, education, which remains a female-dominated industry, hospitality, and retail, particularly clothing and accessory stores. All of these industries have been hammered by the pandemic. We don't have the pandemic under control. Schools and daycares are still closing, and we know that's what's impacting women's ability to re-enter the workforce and sustain jobs, Mason said. In December, restaurants and bars cut most jobs by far got the most jobs by far, and part-time workers were hit especially hard. Among women, Latinas currently have the highest unemployment rate at 9.1%, followed by black women at 8.4%. White women have the lowest unemployment rate at 5.7%. The Bureau of Labor Statistics does not release seasonally adjusted unemployment rates for women of either racial or ethnic identities. And they also provide a link. uh, If you lost your job or landed a job in December, you can share your story, and they provide a link here. And again, um, you can find this. We'll we'll post it on weeklyrev.org, and this article was written by Annalyn Kurtz. All right, I'm gonna take a break, take a sip of water, and put on some more music. Let's see what's next here. And again, I haven't heard a lot of these songs. Uh, you know, I should take responsibility for the music I play, and I love music. And also, sometimes we, uh, uh, I should say, I don't uh, prepare. Uh, the playlist is with as much detail as I have in the past. Okay, this is a song called Thoughts and Prayers by Drive-By Truckers.
6: always someone to blame, never anywhere to hide. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. comes down. I pray I can rise above it. Hold me closer when I've had enough. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. they ask me to explain it hurts me that i have to look away the powers that be are in for shame and come up and generate Pick it up your ass.
4: J.K. Rowling seems to know all about my life Like the way it feels to be misunderstood
5: Um, I'm gonna guess she's not gonna call J.K. Rowling a turf, so I'll do it. But I can't say for sure. I'm gonna skip to the next song.
7: Thank you.
8: to the size. You left me in this world I try I, I try and pray but your light just fades away I'm walking through the night searching for a light For a spark, oh Lord Longing for the day Can't you show the way Looking for a light, oh God, oh, I'm wondering in the dark, looking for a spark, oh God, longing for the day, can't you show the way?
5: That was Randy Crawford with "Why," and we'll have some more music uh, in a bit. Did just get some news that there will be um, vaccination sites in San Francisco. The mayor, Mayor London Breed, just tweeted uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, San Francisco is opening three high-volume vaccination sites, as well as community sites across the city, coordinating private providers that have received doses directly from the state. The sites will be located at City College. SF Market in the Bayview, and Moscone Center. And the first of these sites will be ready to go next week as long as we receive a sufficient supply of vaccines from the state. Starting Tuesday, you can sign up to get notified when you're eligible at sf.gov forward slash vaccine notify. And then they say uh, we will bring pop-up vaccine sites and mobile vaccine teams to increase availability to people living in high-impacted communities. These neighborhoods will also be served by DPH's 14 community clinics and other safety net clinics for the uninsured or underinsured. Right now, the vaccine doses we have received remain limited. We need more doses, we're ready for more, and we're asking for more. We're ready to ramp up to distributing 10,000 doses per day. If supply significantly increases, we're ready to handle as much vaccine as we receive. City staff and our healthcare partners have been working tirelessly for almost a year on COVID response, and that has been the case with vaccine distribution as well. We're mobilizing the entire city the government, and our healthcare partners. San Francisco has led from the very beginning. It's why we have one of the highest rates of testing per capita and one of the lowest death rates in the entire country, ready to do it again with vaccines. Then they have a full announcement that was put out by the mayor's press office, and you can find that on Twitter, uh, London Breed, at London Breed, and the press Twitter is at myrpressoffice. Okay. So hopefully that is... uh some good news that will will happen and folks will be able to get vaccinated that would be super helpful all right Sorry. okay next up oh, okay this is an article from the appeal you can find it at the the appeal.org. the cops at the capitol and this is written by jonathan ben menachem and it came out on january 13th 2021 Law enforcement officers from around the country attended and supported last week's rally in support of fuckface, excuse me, President Trump, that sparked a riot. As of today, at least 26 sworn members of U.S. law enforcement agencies from at least 11 states have been identified by law enforcement agencies and local reporting as attendees of the January 6th rally in support of fuckface that... Sparked a riot at the U.S. Capitol. Update, January 14th, 5.15 p.m. Eastern Time. One more law enforcement officer has been reported as having attended the Jan 6th rally, bringing the total to 29 officers from 13 states. Beyond that tally, several former law enforcement agents attended the rally, and still more current law enforcement officials are under investigation for making statements in support of the rally. And just a note here that uh, the SFPD and the Tenderloin, their Twitter account, follows... One of the uh, Congress people who is in support of the rally. The one who I've already forgotten her name. Missiles are LB. I kind of just don't want to know her name, but it's helpful to know. Who not to trust, of course. And the one who said something about 1776. The one who uh, tried to bring a gun. She was, like, upset about having to go through a metal detector at Congress. Lauren Boebert. That's it. So apparently the SFPD Tenderloin, their Twitter account, follows her along with some other right-wing accounts, which is not surprising and also disturbing. I think it can be both. Okay, so a review of police attendance and support appears below and is also available in the spreadsheet, which they provide a link to, which will be updated as more information becomes available. These specific law enforcement agents have not been tied to white supremacist movements, although I would suggest that a lot of... Law enforcement in this country is a white supremacist movement in itself, based on the the history as well as their actions. And I'm looking at this link now because the article, okay, came out a while ago. And now the tally up to 33. I feel like there's an auction here. How many cops were at the uh, were at the riot at the Capitol? Do I hear 29? No, nope, I hear 30, 33, 33. Do I hear 40? Um, I'm guessing this is going to go up. Just go up in numbers. Let's take a look at this. It's a nice little <laughs> Google dog here. Um, They have the number of attendees, the description, the outcome, link to the source, and the state. So we've got a lot of states so far, a lot of different states. And I've got Arkansas state troopers, LAPD officers, LA Sheriff, uh, several, in quotes, Capitol Hill officers suspended, 17 under investigation that are not in the tally. Uh, i've got kentucky here north carolina state trooper troy new hampshire las vegas nypd not surprising Can- canadian county officer Ugh. Uh, pennsylvania uh yeah you're from pennsylvania here some tennessee texas virginia washington two seattle police officers suspended and two from virginia suspended one houston cup broke into the capital. Yeah, so I'm just imagining this is going to be continued to be updated. Uh, So, so far we're at 33. uh, I'm not a gambling person. I don't like to take bets. I imagine this number will just continue to rise as the days go on. All right, let's get back to this article here. Okay. And yet... It would be inaccurate to say that white supremacists have merely, quote-unquote, infiltrated law enforcement, a word used in recent, a recent hearing on white supremacy and policing in the U.S. House Oversight and Reform Subcommittee. American policing is rooted in white supremacy. Many contemporary police departments originated as patrols dedicated to terrorizing and capturing enslaved people. Other antecedents, antecedents, antecedents of modern policing extend farther back in history, the quote-unquote oversight of native peoples the main function of policing is to protect the interests of the ruling classes and in the context of a society built on racial capitalism that means the crosshairs of police officers focus on non-white communities with this history in mind the fact that police flocked from all over the country to attend the trump rally merely shows how white supremacy is embedded in the very function of policing itself david ellis the police chief in troy new hampshire attended the rally but told a new york magazine reporter that while he condemned the assault on the capitol there's a lot of trump supporters that are uh, oh my god what a fucking dick his quote's kind of funny well it'd be more funny if it wasn't so just terrifying and he's just a fucking asshole he he says "I i can't even deal with this nonsense he says there's a lot of trump supporters that are awesome people like me wow first of all you're not awesome and they're not awesome either fuck you all right next up The Bexar County Sheriff's Office in Texas is investigating Lieutenant Roxanne Mathai? Um, Mathai's uh, attendance. She posted a photo of rioters on the Capitol's balcony after they made it past the police, writing as the caption, and we're going in. In the crowd at, at the stairs. Not inside the Capitol like the others. Not catching a case. LOL. Okay. And Mathai typically has 70 to 80 employees under her command. The Zelenople Borough Police Department near Pittsburgh is investigating Officer Thomas Goldie's attendance. One photo shows him wearing a hat that appeared to say Trump, MAGA, 2020. Fuck your feelings. Sheriff Chris West of Canadian County, Oh, it's Canadian County, not Canada. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better, I guess. Sheriff Chris West of Canadian County, Oklahoma attended the Trump rally. West denied breaking any laws. But to post from a deleted Facebook account that appeared to belong to West, read, I'm okay. Oh my gosh, I'm okay. Blah, 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 blah. freedom, liberty, blah, 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 blah. The New York Times reported, and clearly there's words there, and I just, um, fuck. The New York Times reported that a man named Jeff told a reporter that he was an off duty police officer in York County, Pennsylvania. There's a lot of people here willing to take orders. Dummies, 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 he said. If the orders are given, the people will rise up. The New York Dispatch is working to confirm this report with local police departments. The Seattle Police Department placed two officers who attended the rally on administrative leave. The Franklin County Sheriff's Office in Kentucky reassigned Detective Jeff Farmer after he attended the rally. Where did you resign him? Did you resign him to be fucking fired? Because that's what should happen. Farmer has denied participating in the riot or in any violence. Local public defenders wrote a letter to Sheriff. Chris choir alleging that farmer has made multiple social media posts expressing disbelief in systemic racism and unconscious bias that he resigned from the Versailles police department. And that's I'm guessing also in Kentucky, not in France uh, in exchange for no further pursuit of criminal charges against him. And further that he had been involved in many cases, which reflect targeting and racial profiling farmer was named deputy of the year in 2019. Wow. This, this country Yakov Smirnoff was right. (laughs) What a country. Uh, Sergeant TJ Robertson and Officer Jacob Fracker of Rocky Mount, Virginia, have been placed on administrative leave after photos emerged of them inside the Capitol. There was no fighting with police officers, Robertson said, in reference to the Capitol Police on January 6th. The door was wide open and the police officers were actually handing bottles of water out to people who came in. In a Facebook post, however, Robertson wrote, CNN and the left are just mad because we actually attacked the government, who is the problem, and not some random small business. Just right in one day and took over the fucking... Okay. That's just stupid. (sighs) Philadelphia police detective Jennifer Gugger has been reassigned pending an investigation into her attendance. Until last week, she served in the department's Recruit Background Investigations Unit, and the Philadelphia Inquirer reports that, until recently, her Facebook profile was a reference to the QAnon conspiracy movement. The police force for the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transit Authority in Philadelphia is also investigating seven officers who reportedly attended the Trump rally. The NYPD said one police officer who attended is under investigation. The Anne Arundel County Police Department in Maryland has suspended an officer with pay who reportedly attended. And this, if anything, is a geography lesson of where do all the racist police officers live? Counties I've never heard of, so I'm learning something. The Charles County Sheriff's Department, also in Maryland, is investigating the attendance of a corrections officer who is presumably employed by the sheriff. One Kentucky state trooper has been reassigned as the agency investigates his attendance. Arkansas State Police told the Arkansas Times that two troopers requested leave time to attend the Trump rally. According to Representative Tim Ryan of Ohio, two Capitol Police officers were suspended and at least 10 others are being investigated regarding their behavior during the Trump riot. One of the two suspended officers wore a MAGA hat and started directing people around the building. The other posed for a selfie with a member of the mob. Aid told CNN that as many as 17 officers with the Capitol Police Department are under investigation. Oh, I need to reading the name of all these uh, <coughs> people. Gotta drink some water. Okay. Several former law enforcement officers ad- also attended the rally, and again, I'm just gonna note that these are the people that people <laughs> that were that they're aware of. Ooh, sound effects. drill Snyder, who was a police officer in Oakland, California, my birthplace, gave an interview on CBS affiliate KPIX explaining his participation and his support of the rioters. And then he's being a fucking idiot. Um, uh. During his tenure as a police officer, Snyder killed one person in 2007 and another in 2013. Several current Oakland police officers expressed support for Snyder's radical views on Facebook, and the department is investigating its members' potential support potential support for radical and far-right movements. What's the history of the Oakland Police Department? Good grief! How do we in, uh, investigate it? And just pick up a book. Oh my goodness! Butch Conway, former sheriff of Gwinnett County, Georgia, attended the Trump rally but denied participating in any illegal activity. The watchdog watchdog. That's a watchdog. The watchdog. The watchdog group documented. Requ- ...reported that the Rule of Law Defense Fund, uh, the 501c4 arm of the Republican Attorney General's Association, issued robocalls encouraging supporters to attend the Trump rally. Many officers who did not attend the rally expressed their support in statements or social media posts. Notably, John Catanzara, president of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police Boo, made several comments to NPR affiliate WBEZ echoing Trump's unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud... Blah, 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 blah. Uh, in Arizona, Penal County Sheriff Mark Lamb denied Trump's responsibility for the violent white supremacist attack. And I am just not going to be, like, repeating these people's quotes. One Secret Service officer is un- under investigation for making a Facebook post in support of the rally. Dummy. Okay. In Kansas, a lieutenant of the Sedgwick County Sheriff's Office voices support. Uh, Sheriff Dallas Baldwin of... Franklin County, Ohio, fired a civilian public information officer for writing a Facebook post that criticized Capitol Police for failing to stop the Trump riot. Okay. Um, wow. If this was a BLM protest, we'd be seeing tanks and mass casualties, the PIO wrote. White privilege at its worst. So even the, the people who are speaking up about it are the ones who are... Uh, getting fired. The complete list of law enforcement statements in support of the rallies available on the spreadsheet. And that's the one I read from earlier. Editor's note, the author independently compiled the data herein and created the spreadsheets. Again, Jonathan Ben Menachem. Thanks to Jonathan and all the folks who are doing this research. And if you'd like to hear or read the quotes of these awful (laughs) police officers, you can. we'll be posting a link to the site on our webpage. All right, I'm going to uh, take another music break. Rest my voice a bit, and we'll be back in a bit. This is a song by an artist called Thick, and the song is called Mansplain.
1: Like, yeah, girl bands are really in right now. Just kidding, uh, uh, is is that yeah. yeah. uh, that was you.
2: yeah. yeah. your boyfriend's drum? Yeah, I wouldn't really recommend a fender to a woman, but
9: you're
2: kind of tall. Alright, two on the list?
5: Do you think they'd be the, this successful or if they would not know
3: that to do no, really. If they were
10: guys, I'm not sure like that people would really be into this.
3: Uh, we hear something Do
9: you think no, she she's has She's a pretty good
1: drummer for a while. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're girl
9: Yeah, girl bands. Can we get the
6: guitar going? Does she know where to plug that in? They sound great for women.
0: from so
5: Going on. Alright, that was Donnie Hathaway with his version of What's Going On. Next up, we have a guide uh, that has basic ways your community can prepare for political crises. Specifically, the possibility of right-wing mass organized violence and or takeover of the government through violence or a threat of violence. This is from It Could Happen Here, and we'll be posting this link on our website again, and you can also find more information at itcouldhappenhere.org. So this is a bit of information here. This guide has basic ways your community can prepare for political crises, specifically the possibility of right-wing mass organized violence and or a takeover of the government through violence or the threat of violence there is evidence that this could happen as part of the november 2020 election um, but whether it does or not this practical guide is useful anytime it's not always clear when mass organized violence and or a government takeover is close to happening or has started the term for what we've been describing is a fascist coup what to look for more openly fascist groups extremists promoting organized violence celebrating domination hate and terror federal government pressures governors to stop counting votes media are censored or shut down censored excuse me media are censored or shut down armed right wingers gather in public areas intimidation fascists within and outside government claim to be quote unquote defending freedom quote unquote law and order and or quote unquote keeping you safe and also it's not clear who is in charge Government refuses to do what courts decide, curfews, or martial law. Military takes control of DC or large cities. Police and military refuse to stop fascist government takeover or look the other way while right-wing groups beat or murder people in large numbers. Fascists within and or outside the government round up and or murder people based on race, religion, immigration status, or other identity, as well as protesters, professors, clergy, journalists, and more. Communities who organize to support each other have successfully been able to reduce harm and save lives when fascists try to take over. Here's what you can do with your community to support each other. We fight fascism, build community resiliency, and grow closer to the world we want through mutual aid. Neighbors supporting each other leads to relationships of camaraderie and trust. It's not a government structure, it's a social structure. It's people organizing themselves and their own communities for what they need. It starts with feeling empowered, to take action and responsibility for yourself and your community. Communities have always organized themselves successfully this way. It's who we are as human beings. There are many options: serving free food, sharing electricity on your block, free clinics, or help yourself first. Oh, help yourself first. Aid stations, coordinating rides, or DIY auto repair events. Auto repair events. Just be sure to ask folks what they need. Think through all the consequences and be sensitive to cultural needs. Don't serve ham sandwiches at the Cruz but also tolerant to differences, it may not be the time to insist that all meals be vegan. Quick tips on disaster preparedness through mutual aid. Collect resources as they are relevant to you. You don't need to stockpile blankets in the middle of summer in Florida, but if you are diabetic, collect insulin. Food, water, medical supplies, sanitizer, masks, formula, diapers, paper and pen, walkie-talkies, solar chargers, batteries, mental health stabilizer, tracker. Talk with your neighbors. Figure out everyone's fears and vulnerabilities and also their skills. Plan how you will respond. For example, what will you do if you need food but all the stores are closed? No one knows what will happen. We have never experienced anything like this in the USA and we cannot give expert advice. Just general info gathered from community knowledge. Please adapt to your specific situation. Always assess every situation and make choices based on actual needs and abilities. Most of our communities are not ready for a battle. We need strategy to build our capacity and to protect each other in the event of escalating conflict. Practice, practice, practice. Learn skills, get training. Think about likely scenarios, conduct practice drills. Imagining and chatting may be adequate, but we get far better results from physical run-throughs. Map and plan. What are essential resources? Where are threats? Where are major routes between important destinations as well as alternatives? also consider power mapping and ally mapping make detailed plans using this information recruit gather those who already share your views discuss effective ways to invite others be ready to ask for help or to come to their aid notice where you have strengths uh, when you where you have strengths they don't and vice versa community defense starts with getting to know and finding common ground with your neighbors always stay focused on shared goals work to meet everyone's needs and prevent harm to the community, find trustworthy, level-headed people to join and/or volunteer to take on tasks or contribute resources and skills. Medical network: Volunteers with medical knowledge offer themselves as an option in case typical systems of medicine, uh, hospitals, clinics, etc., are no longer functioning or safe. Survival support network: A list of people who are vulnerable in some ways, especially those who are vulnerable based on ability and identity, and who need support. This may include people who are black, indigenous, people of color, BIPOC, Muslim, Jewish, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, questioning, LGBTQ, or queer, protesters, disabled, abortion providers, clinics, undocumented, etc. I've Got Your Back Network. Homes who will allow vulnerable people to stay with them should it be necessary to save their lives or prevent harm. We also call this a safe house network. Community funds. To better maintain our our. Independence to raise f- we raise funds from within the community or from outside sources only from funders who share our values. Security: know your rights. Know which phone computer apps to use. Don't talk to police, FBI, or snitch. Storage network: gather important supplies. Create network of accessible storehouses. Runners network phone tree. Your community may need to communicate without electrical or electrical or digital methods. Some group members should have paper a paper list of. Regional phone numbers and addresses so you can check in with each other via call or in person. Create a network of volunteers who commit to delivering messages or supplies by foot, bicycle, or car. Self-defense. Using our bodies to protect people or reduce harm, and using techniques to de-escalate aggression to prevent violence. This can also include, if your community chooses, training to use weapons safely and carefully. Affinity groups. Affinity groups are small groups who come together to take direct action of any kind, from soup kitchen to safety blockade or patrol. Affinity means having something in common, like shared experience and shared goals. Typically less than 10 people, independent and capable of meeting its own needs. An AG functions with everyone on the same level making decisions together, with no chain of command, developing trust, camaraderie, and responsibility. The building blocks of a more just and loving world. Common roles include facilitator, communications, scout, medic, interpreter, driver, legal, mediator, internal conflict, negotiator, external conflict. Remember that history has proven that coups only succeed with public cooperation. It's human to feel afraid and confused in times of crisis, moments when we are very vulnerable, but also more open to change and growth. As we continue to build confidence and unity over generations, we can create the world we want and need. We hope this guide empowers you all to support and protect each other. Together, we are unstoppable. And for more information, you can contact it.could.happen.here at protonmail.com. And you can also go to itcouldhappenhere.org. And we will be blah, 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 blah. I'm going to slow down for a moment. I'll be uh, sharing a link to this page on our webpage at weeklyrev.org. All right. It's about 1.14. Wow, I am... Oof. Let me share a headline from one article, Amazon Warehouse Workers to Decide Whether to Form uh, the Company's First Union. And that's an article that's from uh, NPR. And there is a note at the bottom, uh, editor's note, Amazon is among NPR's recent financial supporters. This is <laughs> the world we live in. The article is by Alina Sely, Selyukh, and my apologies for mispronouncing this, Selk, S-E-L-Y-U-K-H. Um, we'll provide a link to that as well my uh, voice is getting a little bit tired here so and i also do prefer to share other people's voices so we'll go back to some music and perhaps i'll find some audio clips to play and we'll be back in a bit this is a song called water is life
11: all my relations come every nation come all my relations Standing strong like a rock, like a stone. Thank you. Someone else's song now. Hey, little boy, is your mother home? Did you go out and leave you all alone. I got a bad desire. you high.
5: Now's the perfect time to buy a mattress. Oh, no. I went to go play a video, and now an ad's starting. So I'm just going to talk, and then I'll introduce the video. Uh, Ken Jones was a longtime activist in the LGBTQ community, passed away recently, and I wanted to share an interview he did uh, a few years ago on ABC. So we'll be playing that It's a few minutes long. So uh, please do stay tuned.
12: i see the crosswalk i mean where else can you see a uh, rainbow colored crosswalk
9: today ken jones marvels at what san francisco's castro district has become it is much different than the neighborhood he first came to in the early 1970s
12: particularly for me it was a challenge because there weren't that many other men of color in this neighborhood and for good reason we were pretty well treated as though we are second class citizens. Jones is the
9: inspiration for a character in When We Rise, the four-part miniseries on ABC7 follows four activists over nearly five decades of fighting for LGBT equality.
3: My proposal is for a mobile needle exchange aimed at our neighborhoods, dispersing condoms and clean needles. You wanna encourage our children
9: into a life of homosexuality? Ken was an early advocate of ways to prevent the spread of HIV.
12: For black gay men, it's, it's hard to find your support network.
1: The black
3: community, there is no gay in a real black man. No real black man is a homosexual.
9: He has long been an advocate for gay black men who are still disproportionately impacted by the disease, largely because of their sexuality.
3: I'm standing in front of you as a proud gay black man.
12: It's as though every system has thrown up a brick wall in front of you. My heart grieves when I think of those young black kids who just don't have hope.
9: That's one of the reasons he decided to share his story. Jones is proud to share that he is a veteran, black, and openly gay, and a survivor of HIV. It wasn't an easy road. I lost my
3: lover lost my job, I lost my home, and hell yeah, I started using. It's as close as I'm going to get to good with these bads I got.
9: His spirituality saved him. Hmm. How do you hope that uh, this miniseries on ABC
12: strikes people? God created me just like I am. Uh, there are no imperfections. Uh, What he needed me to do was rise and own that difference.
9: He says future generations of LGBT people need to understand the fight previous generations fought.
12: I often say it's like work in a garden. It's never done. Every generation needs to hear the story again and again about how absolutely horrible things were for us.
9: Horrible then and thankfully changing now. And the ABC miniseries event When We Rise continues tonight and wraps up tomorrow night right here on ABC Seven. It airs at
5: nine PM. Alright, some words from Ken Jones, and they also played some pieces from the When We Rise miniseries. And we'll be I'll share a link to the video as well on our webpage. And now it's about one, almost one thirty here, and wanted to share uh, from APTP, the seventh annual Reclaim MLK weekend is almost here, and they have a new video uh, from one of the founding organizations, CRC Media Corps. Uh, content warning: uh, police murder. Uh, They say, join us on January 18th as we caravan from the port to East Oakland, demanding that hashtag defund OPD and hashtag refund, restore, reimagine our communities, and they have more information on um, on the Facebook page, and we'll provide a link as well, so let's hear this uh, video.
1: that
2: created
5: the again this is the this will be the uh, seventh annual reclaim MLK weekend and we'll share some more info at weeklyrev.org and there's also the virtual press conference to kick off the seventh annual reclaim King's radical legacy weekend. Pat Brooks speaking, so I'm going to uh, play some of this right now.
13: All progressives pushing neoliberal agendas, um, but Oaklanders are clear that they, they are awake. We saw that in these recent elections where they voted for true progressives, people with a proven track record. They're standing on the side of the people, standing with the people, being by the people and for the people, saying that it is not okay that we have six to 8,000 unhoused people sleeping on the streets every night. It is not okay that renters are being pushed out of their homes. It is not okay that we have a police department entering the 20th year of federal receivership. Those things are not okay. That is not the Oakland that we love, that we live in, and that we fight for. And so this weekend is a celebration of King's legacy, a remembering of what it takes to get to where it is that we're trying to go, and and putting um, those who would see our poor, our hungry, are black or brown or indigenous are queer be invisibilized in the name of profit that that is absolutely not the Oakland that we are willing to live in and we are here to continue the fight um i want to in that vein introduce one of the people's champions um our the president of the Oakland city council uh, of district 2 Nikki Bass
14: thank you Cat Brooks thank you everyone for coming together to uh, remember the radical legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Um, I wanna start by quoting um, from Dr. King's book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community from 1967, because I think this quote is really important uh, right now in the political context that we are living in. So he said in this book, the contemporary tendency in our society is to base our distribution on scarcity which has vanished, and to compress our abundance into the overfed mouths of the middle and upper classes until they gag with superfluity. If democracy is to have a breath of meaning, it is necessary to adjust this inequity. It is not only moral, but it is also intelligent. We are wasting and degrading human life by clinging to archaic thinking. And with that quote, I want to remind ourselves that it is this thinking of scarcity, of austerity, of tightening our belts in good times and bad without sharing the tremendous wealth in this country or in this region. And that is exactly what we are fighting to restore the abundance, the equity, the sharing of wealth that will make our communities whole. And one of the things that I think we all know, um, because we are remembering the radical legacy of Dr. King, is that our communities have been defunded, defunded for decades at every level of government, defunded in terms of housing, jobs, healthcare, and more. And as that defunding has happened, what has grown is our policing, incarceral state. Our police budgets have grown to be the solution to almost every social ill that we have. And we know, especially here in Oakland, as we are reimagining public safety, that what will keep us safe are the housing, jobs, healthcare, and other basic needs that people have. And so that's exactly what we seek to refund, to restore, and to reimagine. We wanna do that work at the neighborhood level, at the local level, because that's where change happens, as well as the state and the national level. Um, i want to just briefly say that last week at the city's inauguration we celebrated progressive leaders like council member carol fife who were standing with the working people the black and brown communities of this city and we know that it is far time far past time for our, our council um, to follow the progressive leadership of the people of oakland like many of you It's time for the council, the mayor, the city administrator to come together and work towards the progressive priorities that Oaklanders voted for, housing as a human rights, safety focused on prevention and healing, and also a progressive corporate tax that will raise the critical revenue that our communities need. It is by addressing all of those issues to refund, to restore, and reimagine that we can make Oakland the place that we know it can be. Thank you very much.
13: Thank you council member bass and thank you for actually saying the theme of this year which i did not refund restore reimagine that is this year's theme and tying reimagine to the dream that king had for this nation and the dream that oaklanders have to live in a city that um is is truly reflective of the progressive brand that we have across the country um we're seeing this fight to refund restore and reimagine Um, in the areas of housing and education and public safety and environmental justice. Um, Our next speaker, Liz Suk, who is the interim executive director of Oakland Rising um, and works across an organization that works across um, our city, across um, ideologies, across issue areas to build a progressive Oakland. Liz?
15: Thank you, Kat, and thank you for your words. Um, My my, um, words will be brief. Hi, my name is Liz Huck. I'm the interim executive director of Oakland Rising, a multilingual, multiracial collaborative to engage and mobilize folks living in the flatlands of East and West Oakland to participate in the electoral political process to ensure the shared dreams of wealth, happiness, safety, and opportunity for all. Our voter base includes 60,000 voters in the flatlands. Dr. King said during this call to join the People's Party. We have moved from an era of civil rights to an era of human rights, an era where we can call upon to raise certain basic questions about the whole society. <laughs> we have been in a reform movement, but after Selma and after the voting rights bill, we moved into a new era, which, be, which must be an era of revolution. We must recognize that we cannot solve our problems now until there is a radical redistribution of economic and political power. Today, we are calling on our city to reimagine this radical distribution of economic and political power and our path forward begins with the reinvestment and restoration of our most marginalized communities. It is time now. We need to hold corporations accountable for the incredible wealth they bleed from our communities and the bloated budgets allocated to our police. Don't be fooled into complacency to believe that we don't have the means to care for our people. We have, we have the imagination and we have the people power to organize and build the communities we live in to keep us safe. The income gap between the rich and the poor, the budget gaps between the, the police and our parks and services only shows us we have means to take care of all of us. As we reclaim MLK's legacy, we reclaim our moral compass to take care of everyone in this city. So join this weekend. Join us in this fight against austerity. Join us in this fight for the moral compass in our budget. Join us in the fight for the soul of our city. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Liz. So throughout the weekend, starting today, what you will see is various groups holding virtual actions, town halls, webinars, teach-ins, leading up to, of course, Monday at noon, where we will have our annual March, which um, with respect to COVID-19 and keeping people safe will be a car caravan from the port of Oakland to East Oakland. And we're we're going to East Oakland um, in, in large part because of what is happening there and the people and the tragedy and the trauma that is being invisibilized. Um, I want to introduce now Ashara Ekendayo, um, an independent curator and steward at artist as a first responder who is part of the leadership of an event, Black women wailing, Black women healing that um, has Black women responding as first responders, Black women artists and advocates responding to what is happening in deep East, condemning our city's response which has been simply to criminalize our young people and invoking a healing bomb upon our city. Ashara.
16: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Kat, and thank you, uh, APTP, for this continued work in our communities um, across the United States and definitely the impact that we understand and feel across the planet. I want to say that I'm reading you all this morning from my home in Oakland. Uh, Honoring the land, the Ohlone people, the stewards of this land who continue to provide the energy for us to be fueled for our creative actions. And so this work we know has its place uh, inside of our cultural places, in ourselves and in our societies and our ecosystems. And we are Oakland's mothers and daughters, sisters, aunties, grandmothers spouses partners and elders whose hearts are shattering and we are artists uh, and that means that yes we are advocates and organizers but we are black women first and through this lens this understanding of artists as first responder you know we have to reframe you know and reclaim artists and we have to reclaim first responder as we've come to understand first responders you know, to respond to an emergency at the scene of an accident, right? Natural disasters, terrorist attacks, all of those things that, that happen in our lives and we have come to know them in a different way in the United States in the last week. We're also adding that we are also beings who respond to threats of white supremacy, colonization, sexism, ableism, transphobia, and at the traumatic intersectional experiences of marginalized people. So black women respond is an art action ceremony that begins this Sunday, January 17th at 1 p.m. Pacific online. It's for Black women, Black women respond, Black women wailing. Black women we'll hold space for righteous anger and for grieving. We'll hold space, we'll hold time, we'll hold breath through the five stages of grief. And what we come to understand is that artists Deal with and respond at the edges of birth and death. So, I just I'll close by saying uh, that more questions unfold, more opportunities for us to move. So, starting on Sunday, over the next seven weeks, our creative art practice will ask the following questions: What would it mean to center the experiences of Black women Um, in discussions of public safety? Is the first one. What are the structural processes and logistics that explain why public institutions, such as mass transit, the education system, the police continually fail to keep black women and black people safe? Also, how do we make our communities safer without criminalization or increasing the presence of police in our communities? What are the artistic and cultural responses that create collective safety? And how do we show up as first responder in situations of need? And finally, how can we intervene in these public institutions in ways that protect all black people's lives and black women's lives and bodies? So I invite you all to join us at the beginning of this. This is a, an online ceremony ritual that is for black women only, black women of all genders. And so information will be on our website, at, um, on the Facebook Live, event page as well as on um, the APTP uh, website and the page as well
13: thank you peace and love to everyone this morning thank you Ashara thank you for joining us and thank you for your work we are going to keep our attention focused on East Oakland um, a part of our city that that does not get the attention the resources the support or the services that it, it so rightly deserves the part of our city which really is the last stronghold of black bodies in the city of Oakland. Oakland was once um, dubbed chocolate city. We are now less than a quarter of the population. Um, I want to turn it over now to Carolyn Johnson with the Black Cultural Zone, CDC and East Oakland Black Cultural Zone Collaborative. Cj, Thank you,
17: Kat. Um, I'm here to speak uh, about intercommunal violence. So, violence from within adds a level of tragedy for our communities, first and foremost with the victim and the violator and the families that are left behind. Intercommunal violence often begets a cycle of revenge and continued violence for generations. And at some point, the initial cause of this generational cycle is obscure, a distant memory. The next level of tragedy from intercommunal violence is the conversion and weaponization of the conditions which have been heaped on us, taken a step further to achieve the ultimate goal, which is the annihilation of us. We cannot do their work. We should not be their tool. No more, not another one. We must chart a pathway to peace that addresses the conditions which set us up for intercommunal violence. Improving the quality of life in our communities is a must. We are not what we have survived or are currently surviving. We hold the keys to our healing and the memories of peaceful villages where all children belong to all people and everyone was your brother or sister, your family. We carry these memories that our melanin through the middle passage, through enslavement, through terrorist attacks where our towns were burned and our lives were savagely taken. We carry these memories even today, despite the mobs who were activated not just by Trump but by the sight of a black president, first lady and first family. The criminal injustice system in this country is yet another tool in the toolkit of oppression with far too many being trapped at the earliest age possible. And at the same time, the US president gives out pardons like party favors. We must have community tools to address conflicts and reparations when we do harm to each other. We can solve this within our community and our pledge at the Black Cultural Zone is to do so together with you. We will center our Black arts and culture. We will hold place for Black people and Black businesses. We will build a strong Black economy and we will develop lives where intercommunal violence is not an option because we are too busy loving each other and remembering who we are. So we must refund community we must restore our memory, and we must reimagine our collective agenda for liberation. Thank you.
13: Thank you, CJ. I'm now going to turn it over to Sabir Lockett, who is the Director of Fame and Initiative of eBay. Sabir.
18: Thank you, Kat, uh Thank you, everyone. Uh, assalamu Alaikum. My name is Sabir Lockett. I work at the East Bay Alliance for Sustainable Economy. Where I'm Director of the Faith Alliance for a More Economy. When I think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I am reminded of his notion of beloved community. Fundamental to the concept of beloved community is inclusiveness, both economic and social. The notion that all can share in Earth's bounties, described as a society in which the social product is shared far more equally than it is today. The beloved community also describes a society in which all are embraced and none discriminated against. Economic and social justice are twin pillars supporting a beloved community. And these two pillars lead to healthy communities. If we can change policies that lessen income inequality, like raising the minimum wage and increasing taxes on corporations and the wealthy amongst us, it is most likely to lead to a significant population health benefits. Likewise, if we can reduce police spending, reimagine a world where appropriate finances are put into communities for mental health, housing, and employment services this will also lead to significant health benefits because the beloved community in a more imperative does not have the hyper visiting state which comes with a price and that price is 24 7 flight or fight response the price of fear and hunger fear and homelessness and fearing being mistreated all as a result of systemic racism. Dr. King devoted his life to creating the beloved community doing so he showed us the path to society that maximizes empathy, compassion, and love, and also leads to health and well being. We can realize Dr. King's dream, but to get there, we need to share the social products more equally and to provide a livable income for all while at the same time removing any of the structural barriers that promote or allow racism, discrimination, and terrorism. I am also reminded of his fight for justice. The night before his assassination in April 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. told a group of striking sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee, we've got to give ourselves to this struggle into the end. Nothing will be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We've got to keep on going. We got to keep this through. I have always been inspired by this and also inspired by the workers carrying a sign that said, I am a man, which signified the dignity and the power of the individual who refused to give up and give in to mistreatment. He also stated, you are demonstrating that we can stick together. You are demonstrating that we are all tied in a single garment of destiny and that if one black person suffers, if one black person is down, we are all down. Under regular circumstances, every essential service worker face unfair wages and discriminatory practices. COVID has been a apocalyptic moment which has revealed further the roots of racism in our economy. We must continue to fight for workers to have fair wages, health benefits, and a voice on the job. At the core of our mission at eBay and Fame is the creation of a sustainable economy with good jobs for all. eBay strives to change the expectations of work, particularly for low-wage jobs primarily held by Mexican and Black people. We believe that all work is valued and everyone's contributions are necessary to make our economy run smoothly. All working people should have dignity in the workplace and be paid enough to succeed and flourish. In Oakland, we must in this time, continue to fight for emergency pay sick leave for those impacted by COVID and to create the Department of Workplace and Employment Standards, so our essential service workers will have recourse against unfair labor practices. And I'll end with one more quote by Dr. King. It's very essential. Um, Dr. King said, in every society, it's protectors. it has its protectors of the status quo and its fraternities of the indifference who are notorious for sleeping through the revolution. But today, our very survival depends on our ability to stay awoke, to adjust to new ideas, to remain vigilant and to face the challenges of change. It is our moral duty to refund, to restore and to reimagine Dr. King's dream and to live into the beloved community that we all hope for. And stand united with our community and continue to push forward as one. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Sabir. We have just a couple more speakers. And, and part of why we have so many speakers is because the power of the progressive movement in Oakland is in our, our coalition building, in our, co- our commitment to coalition, in our commitment to building across race, cl- class, and creed, um, collective struggle for collective liberation. And on that note, um, I want to introduce my friend and my comrade, George Galvez, the Executive Director of Communities United for Restorative Youth Justice. George?
7: Thank you. Uh, Good morning, relatives. It's a good day. My name is George Galvez, Executive Director and Co-Founder of Courage, Communities United for Restorative Youth Justice, based in East Oakland, California. Um, And I'd like to just kind of share that, you know, growing up um, in elementary school and middle school, as we were taught about Dr. King, We were taught this co-opted, sanitized, whitewashed version of Dr. King that was really meant about social control, and it was about behaving well, it was about assimilation. And so I want to just give thanks and love and credit to our relatives from APTP, my sister Kat Brooks, and all those who are reclaiming the radical legacy of Dr. King. Because Dr. King described that very same kind of peace in his sermon, when peace becomes obnoxious, and he described it as a negative peace. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired, in the words of Fannie Lou Hammer. We're gonna continue to upset the setup. We're gonna continue to demand to defund the police and refund the people. And it's gonna be a takeover, not a makeover. So that's short and sweet and that's all I gotta say, y'all. Power to the people, peace. That might be the shortest speech I've ever heard
13: you give, um, Brother George, but but you said it all. Um, and hearkening back to actually where we met and you know, often people ask me, um, when I started working specifically on issues of police terror and state sponsored violence. And it was in 2009, following the murder of Oscar Grant. And since that time, I've been part of a, a community, a coalition, um, a group of people with our, with our eyes focused on justice, right? Not just for Oscar, but for every single life stolen from us from law enforcement. One of the greatest heroes of that movement is Oscar's mother, um, Reverend Wanda Johnson. And she joins us this morning. Mama Wanda.
10: Wow thanks Kat for that introduction thank you for having me as a part of your uh, program on today. I you know want to encourage each and every one of you to fight for what is right to not give up to not throw in the towel but to stay in the ring even when there's times it seems like of quietness we still have to continue to make noise. When my son Oscar was killed January 1st, 2009, at the Fruitvale BART station by someone who was hired to protect and serve, my life changed forever. It has brought myself and my family into a place where we want to ensure that justice is served for others. And so today, we're still fighting 12 years later to get another officer who instigated the situation with my son being killed charged for felony murder. We don't want anything less. And we have to, as a community of people, have the mindset to ensure that we fight for justice for all, that we fight when we don't feel like fighting, that we fight when it's not uh, conditional to fight, that we fight when things seem like we're winning, we have to stay in the ring. You know, I always think about George Foreman when he was boxing. He didn't just throw in the towel and stop fighting, but he stayed in the ring. Whether he got knocked down, but he got back up, he stayed in the ring, and that's what we have to do. We have to continue to fight. So I'm asking you to sign the petition that we have out on social media, uh, requesting charging the officer, I'm asking you to not just sign, but to be a part of this movement with us, to join in and work to ensure that we get justice for my son, Oscar Grant. And as we get justice for him, we will work with other families to get justice for them as well because we cannot stop. We have to continue on this journey as long as we live. So I, again, thank you for having me on the session today. And I want to say to you, don't give up the fight, stay in the ring. look at the prize that's ahead of us. And that is a prize where we as a people will be tre- treated and Uh, equally as other nationalities. Thank you. Again, should sign the petition for my son, Oscar Grant. Thank you.
13: Thank you, Mama Wanda. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, And there is a national call tomorrow at 3 o'clock PM to continue to build support to reopen the case um, to charge Tony Peroni, who we all consider just as guilty as Johannes Meserly in the murder of Oscar Grant. You can um, join that call, get more information um, in the link that is being placed in the chat right now. Um, We're going to turn our attention to another place where Oakland said it wanted to see change, that it wanted to see investment, and that is in our young people. Um, The first person I'm going to introduce is Mike Hutchinson, um, one of the newest directors of the Oakland Unified School District. Mike.
19: Great. Thank you, Kat, and thank you, APTP and everyone else who's who's here today. Um, this is a real honor for me to even be a part of this press conference. Um, I, I really feel like my, my history and my family's history is a testament to the movement. Uh, my parents met working in Freedom Summer in the 60s. Um, my mother heeded the call from Dr. King and marched Selma to Montgomery, too. Uh, I'm born and raised here in Oakland and grew up in the shadow of the Panthers. And my great 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 grandfather john Hutchinson, the first Hutchinson was born in slavery, fought for his freedom and acquired land for his family and for the Community. And so we're sitting here today as a part of a continuum as as part of the journey towards liberation for our people in this country, and I think it's a really important time, um, as we can see what's happening around us. I really want to stress to everyone, as you see all these great organizers here, and we have all these organizations in Oakland who have been putting in work for decades. What we really need is for everyone individually to get involved. Um, We've seen people move into leadership now in Oakland who have been working with us in the streets for